name is Tracy Bauer, and this is Syracuse University GradCast. In today's episode of Alumni Insights, I have a conversation with Shondell Sanchez, who graduated with her PhD in spring 2020, just as the pandemic hit. She also has an MPA, and both of her degrees are from the Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs. Due to the pandemic hitting in the spring, her postdoc in Germany was canceled, and it forced her to reevaluate her her post-PhD life and career goals. Throughout our interview, she describes how she pivoted, how she evaluated herself through self-reflection and refined her job search with networking helping along the way. This fall, Shondell begins a visiting assistant professorship at Washington and Lee University in Lexington, Virginia. Please enjoy this episode. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Tracy. I'm, I'm really happy to be here with you. Great. So talk to me a little about your position and how you secured it. Um, So this is actually an interesting story because I finished my dissertation about two weeks, maybe three weeks before the pandemic started. And and I finished at a strange time. I finished um, February 12th was when I defended my dissertation. And I did that because I had secured a postdoc in Germany that I was supposed to start almost immediately. So um, about two days before I was supposed to fly out, I was actually going to Sweden to a conference with all these like lawyers and sociologists who talk about um, immigration and inclusion of immigrants in um, non-Western countries is how they had worded it. Um, And then I would be there for three days and then I was going to go to Germany to start my postdoc. But the pandemic hit and I couldn't fly out to Europe at all. So I basically spent two weeks after that on the phone with all these airlines, hotels, with the universities, trying to figure out if I should wait, what would happen, um, and trying to get my money back because it ended up being uh, about $3,000 that I had already spent um, just preparing all this, the trips and my postdoc and whatnot. So when that happened, um, after those two weeks of being on the phone constantly, I realized, oh no, I have nothing. Um, and panic set in essentially. Yeah. I would, I think that's, you know, probably a circumstance a lot of people came into and, you know, all of that money too, and that change in plans can be really tough to adjust. Yeah. It is. And I think, um, it was already a tough time to adjust to from going to being a grad student to being, uh, somebody who's doing a postdoc and then trying to figure out my life after that, because I, it was only a three month postdoc. Um, so I didn't have anything else secure after that, but in my mind, that was some time where I can figure things out. Um, so that happened and I realized I was probably not going to be able to make it to that postdoc and I had to figure out something. Um, I have some loans for my master's program I have to pay off. So just practically I needed to pay that off. Um, but then also I really like writing still. I like research. I like teaching. I mean, I I was really focused on those things for six years of my life. So um, I had to figure things out. And um, part of what I realized was that I had kind of been focusing so much on finishing my PhD that I didn't know what else I liked. Like I barely knew who I was anymore sometimes. Yeah. I think that's also a common thing as well, right? When you're so focused on your research and finishing the PhD, you forget, what are the other things that I like to do? What are other options that I might have when, you know, plans change or when I finish this? Yeah. 
Exactly. So, um, so I started doing a couple of things immediately. So those first things was I started to network, right? And this came from a lot of advice from Dan, who had actually been telling me this for quite some time. And I did network, but lightweight networking. I thought I could do that a little more when I was in Germany. Um, and suddenly everything ramped up and I had to do it right away. Yeah. So how I started off was I just started telling professors, look, this fell through. I don't really know what I'm doing now. Um, I heard about this UX researcher job that it's really interesting because somebody described it as storytelling, which is what I love about writing, right? So that appealed to me and one professor knew somebody, a PhD in anthropology who was doing US research. And um, he hooked me up with this colleague of his. And I met her and she introduced me to several other people and then I started networking. And then at the same time, um, I realized that I needed to come back and figure out who I was. So I treated myself like I treated my research for these six years and I started journaling and just asking myself some general questions like, where do you see yourself in 10 years? What do you enjoy about your research that you can apply to a non-act position? Mm -hmm. um, what, what are you passionate about? What were you passionate about before you came to graduate school? Because I worked for not-for-profit overseas for many years and I did love that work. Mm -hmm. um, so I started journaling um, and then I just started applying to jobs that, were, that kind of seemed like they fit what I was interested in. Um, while I was still networking and talking to folks and telling them, look, this happened, like, what's your advice? Like, what would you do if you were me? Yeah. So I wasn't applying to very many academic jobs at that time because there was a hiring freeze, obviously. Um, and I had already had it in my mind that I didn't really want to do adjuncting or a lot of short-term positions. Um, but um, I would apply to those if something really stood out to me. And um, so my advisor had a student who had graduated the year before I started. And he was a visiting assistant professor and adjunct for like these past six years. That's all he's been doing. And he kept sending me like flooding my email box with all these adjuncting and VAP positions. But I actually decided from my journaling that I should be selective. Um, yes, I do need to pay bills. Yes, I need to have somewhere to live. But I also have to be happy. So this visiting assistant position at Washington and Lee came up and it's in the um, Shepherd program for poverty and capability studies. And so much of it focuses on service learning and working with communities. And I'd actually done community research here at Syracuse. I worked at a not-for-profit. So much of it appealed to me. So even though I was like really not wanting to do short-term positions um, I had a particular position about what it meant to be a VAP and how people do it for so long and it's precarious and it's not the future I had envisioned. Um, this program really called to me and I told myself that I can learn a lot from this. Um, I can learn from the students um, and I can learn from the community of people who are doing really great work on the ground. Um, and I applied and they like got back to me in two weeks. But that is after I had applied to 30 non-ac and academic jobs within the span of like three weeks. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it didn't, that's not the first job I applied to. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not even a job that I thought I was wholly qualified for, to be honest. But it, in connection with my journaling, in connection with trying to come back with how I envisioned my life in the long term, it really fit. It fit as a really good um, kind of stepping stone and an exciting opportunity to kind of discover a part of myself that I'd lost when I was trying so hard to finish graduate school. Mm -hmm. 
That it sounds like you know there's been so many disappointments for you this this spring um, with the cancellation of your postdoc in Germany. But it seems like through a lot of self reflection, um, you learned so much more about yourself, and it helped to propel you into you know, this visiting assistant professorship that will really align with all of the things, not only to make you happy, but to pay your bills and things like that. Because there's all those different types of elements that we need when we are in our careers, because we spend a lot of time with them. So the self-reflection piece, I'm glad you shared that because a lot of times when we work with students, it's trying to get them to take a step back and think about who they are, and where do they want to go, and then helping them to get there. And who I am is a question that might evolve throughout time. As we gain new experiences, we start to hopefully understand and take that information in and see these are things I like, these are things I don't like, these are things that I excel at, these are things I'm not so great at. And the goal would be to put all of those things together to find a position that meets as much of those things as possible. While there's maybe no such thing as 100% fit, you know, getting it close to 100% is a great idea. And I think another thing that you mentioned in there is kind of thinking about short-term versus long-term. So thinking about your PhD program that takes many years to complete and then having a short-term postdoc and then thinking about longer term, but also when situations come up, which are unfortunately part of the world that we live in, having to adapt and make those changes quickly is really important and understanding that even a shorter term position like a visiting assistant professorship is something that, you know, you found you are still selective, but it's going to be excellent for right now in this current environment where COVID is still affecting the United States and the world um, still pretty significantly. So thank you for sharing those items. That's really helpful to students. And I think sometimes we tend to skip over that thinking we have to go sit in a forest under a tree and, and journal for three days straight, you know, um, it doesn't have to be like that. So I'm glad that you were able to find some, you know, answers in that um, throughout your process. So since COVID did affect your professional plans, can you talk me through how you recalibrated so quickly? I mean, obviously there's a lot of disappointment and, you know, it's okay to feel that. So how did you, you know, re-motivate yourself? Because I think a lot of students are overwhelmed and frustrated in general about the job search, but especially the job search right now. So any tips or advice or things that worked for you? Sure. Um, so I can tell you that I failed at trying to make myself feel better and self-soothe and be easy on myself immediately. Um, my initial thought was to, just because it's, it's my personality, like I put myself in something 100% and I'm ready to solve all the problems, right? <laughs> but the pandemic doesn't care about my personality type or my drive. Right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> Yes. And the job market doesn't care about these things. It's, it's, that's something that's very hard to even put in like your CVs, um, your resumes, your cover letters. Um, that's something that's really hard to, um, I guess, present in that way. So the first thing I did was I started reading every blog out there about how to get a, a job right out of your PhD, a non-academic non and an academic job. I started listening to every podcast under the sun. I started <laughs> like following every person who, who t promises you that you can get a job if you use their ABCD technique, right? Sure. Um, but it was helpful. It was helpful, but also very overwhelming. 
um, those people are also selling something. Mm -hmm. And part of what they're selling is that without them, without their technique, you're not going to succeed. And it makes you then feel like you will never succeed. Um, so I did that. And while I did find it helpful, there are a couple of like online personalities that I'm really glad I learned about. And I, and I found everything about them to be really helpful. Mm -hmm. And there are some things that I learned I should probably never read again, sure. <laughs> just because it makes me feel hopeless. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, so that's one way of kind of trying to figure my way out of it. That was partially successful, but not totally successful. Um, the other thing was kind of just going easy on myself and remembering um, that I have some self-worth outside of this whole job market. Um, I know it sounds really kind of silly sometimes, but that's easy to lose sight of while you're in graduate school when so much of it is about being evaluated constantly. Mm -hmm. um, and then where every rejection letter feels like a personal attack against you as a human being and your self-worth because you get a lot, like I'm still getting them now, even though I have this year long position and I'm like, yeah. And it still makes me feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Even though I have a position, I still mm -hmm. feel bad when I see it. Um, mm -hmm. but just to try to tell myself, this is a part of the process. It's not me as a person. This is, mm -hmm. this is one part of me. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned networking and you know, you'd heard to do some networking and you really ramped that up. And um, we hear that a lot from students. You know, I wish I had started a little sooner, this and that, but it, it sounded like things fell into place. So any tips for advice about any students who are reluctant to network or anything you learned along the way that could be helpful because it played such a great role in your search? Sure. Um, I think the first thing I would tell people is to not think of networking as just meeting new people constantly. So like this person who um, kept sending me the VAPs and the adjuncting, the person who really essentially helped me put me on target to get this uh, visiting assistant professorship. Um, I've known him for years. I met him the year before I started my PhD program. And I would never think that that's somebody that, you know, would I'd be able to network with, but he, he really had his ear to the ground in these sort of positions. And even though I would never think to pick this position for myself, he saw something in it where he was like, I think this would be perfect for you. Um, I, had, I had another networking um, sort of conversation with somebody in the same way. I met him at an airport 10 years ago in Dubai. And I kept his card and we, we became um, LinkedIn friends years and years ago. And out of nowhere, he sent me a message that just was like, hey, how are you? Um, you know, it was, it was um, Ramadan was coming up. So he was like, you know, happy Ramadan. And I was like, oh, by the way, I just finished my PhD. Remember we met 10 years ago and I just started this conversation up again. We talked on the phone and he was actually in the tech world when I was really interested in that sort of job. And he gave me tons of great advice. Um, so, and I think, I think we forget that like this whole, like sort of 10 degrees of relationships. It's like that one degree that you forget about mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> that ends up being very useful. And these are people who know you, mm -hmm. which makes it so much more helpful. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you never know who you might meet. And so you don't have to constantly be thinking about meeting new people, but it's also thinking about who do I already know or who do my friends or family know or who's associated with Syracuse University in our alumni network? Because there's already an affinity, you know, from your alma mater at Syracuse or your undergraduate institutions. And 
they're more likely to want to help you. Um, whenever I see anybody wearing anything related to my alma maters, I'm like, oh my gosh, you must be wonderful. And so how can I help or, you know, things like that. So you just never know in, you know, strangely meeting people on planes is a common thing. And sometimes it can work out to become more of a lifetime type friendship or mentorship or, you know, relationship with tips. So that's excellent that sometimes these networking contacts are hidden. They're not always the strategic, you know, direct outreach to LinkedIn. As we wrap up today, um, do you have any other general tips for anyone going into the job market as a PhD candidate through your experiences and what you've learned? I, I think I would, I, I've been telling actually students who are kind of um, just starting the PhD in anthropology, um, I've been telling them to start thinking of your life outside of the academy. Um, start thinking of who you are, what your values are, um, what about the academy you like that you can apply to other positions. I think that um, my biggest sort of regret is that I just focused on finishing and I didn't think, I didn't remember that I was a whole person outside of a PhD program, which is very important when you're thinking about making a living um, because it's not just about collecting an income. This is somewhere you, where you spend a lot of time. Mm -hmm. You should enjoy it. It should connect to your values. It should, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect right away, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but, but we can make those sorts of things work if we think about them earlier on. Um, but if you're like me and you only started thinking about it a year when you were going to finish, <laughs> my, my advice would be to like slow down a little bit um, and think about those things. Think about what you want to do. Think about if you should be volunteering or do a, a very short internship. Think about your resume and not just your CV. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes when I tell people that, they think that I'm discouraging them from the academy. And I'm like, no, shoot for that too. Um, but it's not looking good right now. Mm -hmm. I think to be able to consider multiple options is always a good thing and to be aware of what's out there because you never know in uncovering those options, you may start to see that you prefer something in the industry and outside of the academy and it might be a better fit and it's not discouragement, it's encouragement to open up that viewpoint if you've just been looking at your, you know, job search or career with just blinders on thinking there's only one way to do it because there are so many different ways to apply your research experience, teaching experience in either formal or informal ways in a wide range of organizations as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really good advice. Yeah, it's something I actually learned from networking. Mm -hmm. um, lots of folks I talked to were talking about how their employer now didn't even know they needed their position. They talked to them and eventually kind of just shared with them their skills, their insight, their like critical acumen and how they were able to apply that to their industry and create this new position. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that stepping back from the sort of task we have as graduate students really helps you kind of work those creative muscles in that way and imagine how you can help um, to solve a certain problem in the world to, you know, like, I don't know, better a certain industry, um, the sorts of creative things that we really know how to do. Mm -hmm. And we've been trained for this. We can do those things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
So thank you, Shondell, for joining us today and answering some of these really tough questions that a lot of PhD students and candidates are facing these days. We're really happy that you found some success despite some of these disappointments really early on when the pandemic hit the United States. So good luck this fall at Washington and Lee University, and I hope the program is really great for you. Thank you, Tracy. I really appreciate it. All right, great. So that's it for us today. Enjoy the rest of your day, and thanks for listening to Syracuse University GradCast. <laughs>